According to Pew Research, everybody, eight in 10 white evangelicals in the U.S. say that they will vote for Donald Trump next month. In uh, 2016, a majority of both Protestants and Catholics in the U.S. voted for Donald Trump. These are the realities that we are engaging in our new series uh, of Sunday discussions that we started last week. Who is Jesus when most American Christians back Trump. So let me introduce uh, Kyle Hanawalt, my co-pastor. Once again, Kyle, what are we doing with this series and why are we doing it? Yeah, thank you, Vince. Um, and my initial reaction was absolutely finger toes. But then I thought about living in cold weather here in Chicago, and you wouldn't be able to get boots. You'd have to have custom-made boots. And at the heart of who I am, I'm a cheap person. And I think it would cost more money to have finger toes than it would to have toe fingers. But um, uh, but back to this series. The reason we're doing this series <laughs> is at its heart because there is a narrative that is taken as a given amongst far too much of our country about where, where faith in Jesus is positioned culturally. You know, I think about my good friend after the 2016 election who uh, has since uh, about a decade ago left uh, an experience of faith and talked about what for them felt like the dichotomy of this moment, which is the pieces of their faith that felt most rich and important were the ones that encouraged them to care about the least of us, to advocate for the poor, to see uh, a sense of welcome to the outsider, but where they experienced faith in church in their settings, um, where the narrative and conversation around faith was looking at an election that was largely won on the back of Christian voters, saw where Jesus they experienced positioned in our culture felt very far away from a life of mission and value that aligned with what they wanted. And so for us, we're doing a series here where we're taking a step back and saying, who is Jesus? Looking at the life, the teaching, the parts of Jesus to say, if we are a Jesus-centered church and trying to follow him, what does that mean for us? And it's important for us to engage in this for two different reasons. One is to reclaim a narrative, the idea that it is just a given that Jesus and the, the faith centered on Jesus is existing in white uh, American conservatism is something that it's important that we are pushing back against. Important because I think there are many like me in an earlier part of my life who do want to pursue Jesus but feel exhausted or feel like there isn't space to do that without having to swallow the bitter pill of a cultural uh, approach to life that feels not aligned with how they want to approach life. Um, secondly, it's important that we do this, that we approach this because Lord, we need Jesus right now. Uh, we need Jesus right now. I need Jesus every time I read the news. I need Jesus every time Trump opens his mouth. I need Jesus as I'm wrestling with the world right now. And if we are not speaking about who Jesus is in terms of how he resources us today, how he encourages us today, how he meets us as a living God today to offer us hope when we feel despair, to offer us guidance when we feel lost, to offer us healing where we felt trauma. I think that in this season, we will find that we are missing something. This is a season right now that is provoking and, and igniting uh, feelings of previous trauma for so many. This is a moment here where people are being brought into emotions of anger and hurt and lost and trust. And it is not just a narrative argument. It is the resource of a living God right now. And if we are actually going to help 
be part of our country being a reflection of what we think Jesus would be in this world. And not just because we think it, but looking at the life, the teachings of Jesus, of who Jesus was. What does that mean for how we walk into this next month? And so we're doing a series right now where we are doing that very thing. We are asking ourselves in light of the social narrative of where Jesus exists in our culture today, if we actually look at Jesus's life, who is he? And then who are we as people who try to follow him? And so uh, I'm excited, I'll pass it back to Vince who will introduce our, our very, our, our conversation specifically for today and our, our wonderful guest who's gonna be having uh, help us drive this conversation. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. And um, if you're curious about the first in our series last week uh, with our friend Haley Larson, um, one of the uh, seminary students, theologians, worship leaders in our church, um, you can definitely check that out on our YouTube channel. Uh, but today uh, we are going to be guided, as Kyle mentioned, by a special guest, uh, an old friend of our church, Joey Rodill. Hi, Joey. Hello. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, so Joey was a part of our church for a number of years until he moved to attend seminary. This was uh, uh, maybe like five years ago, probably at this point, uh, but he has remained a friend and stayed connected with our church. Last year, Joey joined uh, Brownline Church's financial board as one of our two outside perspective members of that board. Uh, and as a seminary student and as an advocate for LGBTQ inclusion in churches, we are super grateful to have him today as a creative theologian, as a practitioner of Jesus-informed justice. So as Joey guides us, um, as we get going, I want to remind you again, Allison, our moderator, will be watching our live chat today. So please uh, engage as we go along, ask your questions, offer your comments, uh, tell us what, what this brings up for you, and uh, we'll rope those in before we're done here um, in our discussion. But Joey, uh, if I can jump right in um, to, uh, you've prepared a few, uh, I, a few points for us that we'll put up on the screen here for uh, in a second. And um, so the first thing I wanted to I wanted to throw to you is your first point, which is that uh, Jesus's mission asks us which side of history we want to be on. So take it away, Joey. Tell us more about this. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, especially in this climate uh, and why we are having this particular conversation, uh, it is historical. Um, what we do now is going to be something that is going to be set on our individual narratives and our historical timeline um, for us, uh, for each of us. And so I think one of the first things we have to ask ourselves is like, what are we supposed to be doing? Um, and we find that in the text, um, uh, you have it here, Matthew 25, 36, or 31 to 46, um, whatever you do for one of the least of these you do for me. And when you go into that text, it's about feeding the hungry, clothing the, the naked, right? And uh, you can dive deeply, more deep into that. Um, but because you're doing it to the least of these, you're doing it to Jesus. This is what this text is saying. Um, and so we find ourselves asking the question, what are we supposed to be doing? And I think this text says exactly that. Um, and if we bring it all together, it's like, we're supposed to be taking care of one another and who we are and where we are. Um, and so these are tangible expressions of the mission of Jesus. Like you can actually see these actions. You, you can do these things. And so where in history are you going to fall on that? Are you going to fall on the historical timeline of doing something or 
or like doing something that is going to be detrimental or like even harmful. Thank you, yeah, Joey. the uh, Joey, the 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 text um, that uh, you're bringing us to of this, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me, um, is wrapped up in a in a, a really like one of the more scary like cosmic stories that Jesus tells about like at the end of the age, we will separate the sheep who are righteous and from the goats who are unrighteous. And then, and then this is the thing that, that separates them. And, you know, that way of talking and that way of like cosmic imagery was actually really common in his day. So it makes sense that he would use very like end of time language. And we don't really use language like that, but I think we do use this language that you're talking about here about like being on the right side of history. Like we do, we do think about placing ourselves in a context, right? Like what are we, what's going to be our legacy when we look back? Are we going to be people who can feel proud of what we did. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at with this idea. And to me, that's yeah, like, we, we are, we're longing for, I think you're so right to say like, we're longing, like, what, what, do, we, what do we do? What is before me? What is, what, is the, what is the right course of action? What is the wise thing to do? And it, and it is, it's these simple acts. What are you doing for the least of society? You know, it's, it's interesting where we are right now in this conversation of you have the, the a majority, a very vocal majority that is saying this is where Jesus stands in our culture, and they're claiming it amongst a, the, a, some, a right-wing political ideology. Um, and you think about throughout history, uh, it has been the predominant religious experience to be late on social progression. It is the uh, fighting against uh, slavery, fighting against racism, fighting against oppression and giving rights to women, um, fighting against the inclusion of LGBTQ. It is, it's always been the religious majority that has been at times decades late on this conversation. But at the same time, in many of these pieces, it was a religious Jesus-centered minority that was fighting for the other side. It was it was abolitionists fighting against slavery. It was civil rights movements fighting against the inclusion and breaking down of the systemic racism that we saw in our country. It was it was um, suffragettes that were fighting for the women's right to vote. And in many places, it was uh, Christian LGBTQ individuals that were trying to create greater space uh, for the inclusion of all of us. And I think what's interesting where we are in this place right now, we're kind of saying the same thing right now. It is not a new thing for the majority of those who claim a name for Jesus to be holding on to something that is actually, uh, I think in many ways, falling on the wrong side of history. But at the same time, I think there's a, a pursuit of Jesus, a, a real sense of what are you doing here, Jesus? And he's gonna, he tells us, what are we doing here? It is fighting for the least of that we do something. And we have actually seen that throughout history that has actually helped us bring us into a place of justice and bring us into a place of, of progression as a society. Joey, do you think that like, the, I, I think that Kyle's really right to cast this as like a, a minority groups within Jesus movements that seem to like be at the heart of what Jesus is, was talking about and what he modeled himself, but then majority kind of lagging behind and having to be dragged forward. Do you have hope or a sense that like, um, that something like that can happen in this time, that there can be like our, our goal here with this, with this series of like shifting the narrative. Like there, you know, when people think of Jesus, they actually think of caring for the least of these and not the, you know, conservative politics in America. Do you have hope? Oh, absolutely. I don't know if I really? could. Yeah, I, I, if I couldn't, 
I don't know if I could really follow the essence of Jesus if I didn't have hope. Um, okay. I think that is one of the, that's one of the driving forces of social change and justice is that you have to continuously find hope in these times in people who are doing the work and in yourself to do the work. Um, and yeah, I don't know if I could continue, continue to um, seek the essence of Jesus or feel the essence of Jesus if I didn't have hope that it's going to be better um, and we can make it better. Um, but again, we have to do those things to um, make it better. Yeah, and, just, and the hope will arise from those. Oh, sorry, sorry, please continue. No, I, I was just, um, just following, I don't follow media as much as I used to just because I don't like to have, well, it's just a lot of stress and anxiety for me right now. So um, what I do follow are people who are doing this work continuously in the city of Chicago alone um, and just around the country of different religious leaders or they're even there and this is hard to say sometimes but there are politicians who we need to support that are yeah. on the side of hope that they can make a change so that is such a great distinction joey of just saying the difference between following media and following people who are doing the work and maybe that is what we need to increase our diet of in order to find more hope. Uh, that keeps us informed. It keeps us at the, you know, like understanding like what is going on in my world. It doesn't mean burying your head in the sand to not follow media. What it does mean is choosing to follow hope instead, choosing to follow people who are doing the work. That's really good. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's see uh, what uh, the second, I, I, I almost see your second point actually like peeking in as we were talking about that. So I want to hear more about how Jesus's mission, the way you described it, the way he models it, uh, asks us if we are going to defend the powerful or the non-powerful. And you in, in talking this week brought us to the parable of uh, Jesus leaving the 99 for the one. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Because I thought your work with that was really, really interesting. Right, right. So this is actually one of my favorite um, stories or parables. Uh, and it is talking about the one sheep who is off to the side, or as the text would say, went astray, right? And then the 99 are on the other side going, doing their what they're supposed to be doing are on their, the one side. And the shepherd is going to go after the one. Uh, and so I like to play around with text. <laughs> and sometimes people are like, ooh, that might be a little sacrilegious or whatever, but, uh, um, or heretical, um, but I'm not a heretic, I promise. People call me out on it if I would be. Uh, but I like to say like using the Joey Revised Standard Version that um, <laughs> the one sheep was not really astray. Uh, I believe that we can interpret this or even use it as the one sheep was set to the side and marginalized. You have 99 on one side and you have one on the other side. Um, socially, that's a little strange, you know, unless you've been pushed over, right? You've been pushed over, like cut out of that 100 group as if I did the math correctly, right? Um, and so, I like to say that 
the one sheep that Jesus or the shepherd is going after is the one that has been pushed to the side, that's been marginalized, that people have been not looking really and just following what this society tells us to or these systems that are working for the powerful, right? So the 99 will continue to move that way. And then the one is going the other way, but nobody's looking back except the shepherd, right? And so I feel that in this story, we can say that Jesus or the shepherd is going after the one that doesn't have power Mm. and wants to like bring that sheep, not actually, I don't know if he wants to bring the sheep, but I think he wants to take the 99 and push them over to the one. And that would be change. You get 99 moved over to the one sheep on the other side. And I think that is what social change can look like. We can't stay on the side of the 99 where all this power is being held. But if we shift it over to where there is no power, then I think that's where we can say that Jesus is advocating for a social change and not a lot of power. I just love that idea of reading the, the scripture as about power and not about like a number majority. What does it mean that there are 99 over here and one over here? It's not about like, oh, you know, like here's, here, here's all the people and you're, and you're the outlier. Like you said, like that's actually socially kind of strange. When does that happen? You know, it's like, as Kyle was describing before, the majority are the ones that go with the status quo, you know, that, uh, that don't live courageously. But this idea of it being about power and about these 99 have, have power structures in place to protect them. The one does not. And that's who Jesus goes after. That's who Jesus defends. Uh, Kyle, you were going to say something. Yeah, I just say, I mean, that totally jives. Like I had not, you know, I, I, I don't own the copy of the Joey Revised Standard Edition yet. Um, but let me know when it's released. Uh, but uh, that totally jives with me. This idea of where is Jesus's attention on the, the one that is vulnerable, the one that is at risk. Um, and what are the ones, what are the 99? They're the ones that are safe. They are okay. They literally have the structures of the sheep pen around them or the status quo is 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 there that is keeping them in a place of, of, of safety and a, a place of things going well for them, opposed to the sheep that is out and lost and vulnerable. And where does Jesus draw his attention? It is on the, the one that is at risk, the one that is vulnerable and is going to leave behind those that are kept up by the structures of the world that they live in to draw their attention on the one that is at risk. And I think we can see that in our society too and and even more complicated when the structures of our religious systems uphold people and what does it mean for us to think about those who are at risk those who are vulnerable and think about power in terms of of the way that the structures around us are elevating people and then those who are at risk because the structures are not there for them and where does jesus pursue jesus pursues the one outside of the structures of power and i think that that totally totally jives with me in terms of where i see jesus show up in my life show up in my world it is it is not when i'm leaning into comfort it is not when i'm leaning into and looking at those who are powerful and things are going well for them it is when i am spending my time and energy pursuing and seeing those who have risk and even within myself where is growth happening within me? It is when I am leaning into the places in my own heart that I am at risk, leaning into the places in my own heart that are broken and need help. It's not when I'm leaning into the privilege of being a white man and society is treating me well. I think that that is a, it's incredibly important for us to think about where does Jesus position himself in today's culture? 
Right. And a side note on the Joey revised standard version, um, everybody has their own standard revised version. Um, as long as you are just putting yourself in the text and reading the text, Revelation, oh, you're going to have your own standard revised version. And it's amazing how that's going to lead your life. Um, but one thing I did want to add was another, this is a question to pose. You don't have to answer it, but it's more like rhetorical and for everybody to think about is that what if one of the 99 decided that uh, they wanted to go with the shepherd to go help mm. the one? And I, I really want to know what the, the rest of the 98 would feel if that one went with the shepherd and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's one on the other side, one following the shepherd, and now there's another so like, what are we doing? You're going to turn some heads, I think. If you saw the shepherd and one of the 99 came and made 28 on the other side, I think that is a, something to think about. I love that, Joey. How would you encourage us if we want to be that, uh, that 99th sheep that leaves the 98? Oh, gosh, that is so hard. There's so much you could do. I think one thing is vote. You could vote uh, mm. and be on the one sheep um, that is just voting and making your voice heard. Um, and then just getting involved, um, I think is one of the main things. Um, it, just getting involved and just being aware. But I think we'll go into that later. I think so. But... Definitely, definitely. I Go ahead, Kyle. Well, I was gonna say, I'd like to imagine the 98th sheep in the one. So this is this is in the, the, the context of Jesus's ministry, where he himself is saying this. And then you have at the end of his time in the ministry, he gives the Great Commission, which then tells all of his disciples, now you go out and do this work. And so I, I like to imagine this idea that the, 90, the 99th sheep or the 98th sheep are the ones that, um, that like the world we live in right now, post this commission to go and do the work and do as Jesus did, is an invitation for us in in some ways to see our our role in stepping out of that pen to go and help the vulnerable help the sheep that is at risk um because at this point now um jesus has invited us into his mission i think that it's a way that i like to think about that i love that guys that's, yeah, that's so good. good so good that's good i, I you know i think it, it feels worth it here to address one of the questions that we kind of set out thinking this is an important question to answer uh, through the course of this series, just for our church. And one of it, it one of the questions that uh, I think is important is, uh, are we just, um, so, we, you know, we're, we're sort of putting a very clear stake in the ground in terms of this series, who is Jesus when most American Christians back Trump? It's not, uh, it's not subtle. It's not, um, uh, it, it's, it's not unclear where it is we stand uh, in terms of uh, this coming election. And, uh, and so one question that you might ask is, are we over-politicizing to the left? Are we doing sort of the same thing that we feel so upset by the religious right having done for decades now? And so we're hypocrites because we're over-politicizing just to the opposite direction. And I think that that's a really important question to address. And also, I want to say that I don't think that that is the case. I do think that, uh, here, here's why I don't think, I think it's because of what Joey is talking about here with power dynamics, that when, uh, when we are as political as necessary to follow Jesus's values, and if that gets labeled as partisan, if it gets labeled as partisan to be that sheep that goes with the shepherd to, 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 to defend the one and bring the one back, then 
then it gets labeled as partisan and there's nothing we can do about it, right? But I don't think actually that we are over political or partisan. Uh, I mean, in, in terms of those of us who are locally in Chicago, we all know that nearly every elected, elected official in Chicago is democratic and we're not letting up on them for the lack of criminal justice reform and the lack of education reform and funding for education, the lack of uh, access to affordable health care, and the way some communities are completely forgotten in terms of resource sharing and others get all of it. And so, you know, like the, I think in this case, this is what uh, th this is an important way to understand like when we talk about you know being really clear and explicit in terms of a political uh, out, uh, outset in America I don't think that that means that you're automatically you know uh, uh, overly politicizing uh, the gospel I think that Jesus what he encouraged us to be is hey these are these are the values to pursue if you end up being labeled as political as a result of that so be it Well, Joey, we have uh, one more idea that you wanted to take us to. So uh, tell us more about how uh, Jesus' mission asks us to embrace constant movement. Oh, constant movement. Yes. So um, so it asks us to embrace constant movement. I think if we follow the life of Jesus uh, through the Gospels, you're going to find him on consistent movement. Um, he's consistently moving from place to place, from people group to people group um doing what he does right um and that is helping others finding the way to the light right to finding the way of what how we can be better humans for one another uh and so i think in this story here um where the jesus was on the way to a jewish synagogue to help out a leader with his daughter uh, if I get that correct, um, he's stopped by a woman who like brushes against his, you know, his garb that he's wearing, his attire, and he feels that, and he, no, like feels like this woman needs help, so he stops what he's doing in his constant movement to help this woman along the way, um, and so as we're moving towards our goal of helping like humanity and such. Uh, I think we have to know that these aren't disruptions. These are opportunities uh, to help each other in these times. Um, and so, especially in like this social and political climate um, we find ourselves in, um, there's much work to do. And just as this, there are people that are hurting, there's people that need help. And so, I know we have goals of what we're going to do this season and fight this season, but at the same time, we, there's still consistent movement in taking pivoting and helping those who are hurting in the community um, as we go towards helping or our goal of helping others. I, I'm so struck by that, Joey, as I think about the, the thing we've talked about just now about this idea of often the religious majority throughout history being uh, so delayed in movement. And often what I've experienced, so, you know, my, my context was this experience of like, through my whole childhood, there was a big wrestling of like, do we think women can really lead? Like, is that a thing we're okay with? And then that was something that was like wrestled through. And at least in the context of where I was, it was like, okay, yes, 
we've we've hit them we've hit a majority of minds changed that we can all say aloud yes we can be led by women um and then it was you know like there and what i experienced especially amongst um uh people of a generation older than mine is that when we hit the question of inclusion of lgbtq there was kind of like a like we just like we got to the arrived place now women are included and there was almost a sense of like a resistance to pivot to like the next sense of like what is the next thing for us to to be engaging in um, and i think that what we see in jesus is a constant awareness within his own local context that this is never and when we're talking about his the the power of jesus's freedom the power of jesus meeting need it is not a finite thing it is a seeing what's going on and then pivoting to the next thing to make sure that we're constantly constant in action, which is why we as a church so love the idea of centered set, a constant movement towards Jesus opposed to bounded set, which is figuring out how do we get in, and then once we're in, we're in. This is a never-ending journey of self-understanding, a never-ending journey of fighting for justice and helping seeing the kingdom of God revealed here on earth. And I, I just think that that's incredibly important to Joey, so I appreciate you bringing us to that. Yeah, I think... Um... And I like how you said that we need to be aware of what's going on. As much as I hate the media, I am still making myself aware of what's going on politically, um, religiously, and socially around the country. And in celebration of National Coming Out Day, and thank you, Rebecca, for that prayer and bringing that up, um, I too am and will never be ashamed of saying that I am queer. And I have um, this theologian, she's also queer, Marcia, or Marcella Althus-Reed, um, and she did a lot of work in liberation theology, a feminist and queer theology as well. But she said, we need to read the life, uh, or sorry, we need to read the life of Jesus with the same eyes that we read stories and tabloids about, and she specifically says homosexuals, or homosexual people being killed. And I would like to take like what she said, yeah, we need to like look at these tabloids and read them in the eyes of Jesus, like, and Jesus's life. Um, and I like to take like homosexual that she used here and put that in like with people who are harm being harmed right now, black bodies, right? Trans bodies, all like undocumented immigrants. Like, are we taking the, are we taking these tabloids or these news and media stories of what's happening around the world. And are we reading them with the lens of the life of Jesus in that? And I just love how she says that. And so that like, I think that encourages us to be aware of what's going on around our country, around our city, around the world. So we can be ready or and be in constant movement to do what's next to help. Well, and you talk about a way to um, see uh, the scriptures, the gospels, uh, come alive to you is, I mean, you think about just how emotionally activated any of us are almost immediately when we're reading the news. Um, and, you know, and that, and that's because we get all of the references and we're in the, we're in this context where we, we can't escape it in the age of the internet. Right. And, um, and if we, if we can read the scriptures and just kind of um, you know, kind of ha have that sort of same like, oh, you know, if we were, if we were there, if we knew all those references and we got the context and we were immersed in it, we would have these same emotional feelings about the, the provocative and loving and radically inclusive nature of Jesus. 
And uh, I mean, so, I mean, honestly, what you're describing, it, it kind of can go both ways, right? Like it can activate us in today. It can also get us back to, you know, if you're saying like, we got to go to the stories that feed hope, you know, we got to go to the stories of people doing the work. I mean, Jesus can be, the gospels can be an example of something that feeds hope by seeing somebody doing the work. Uh, if we can, if we can read them from that perspective. Awesome. Yeah, it, it seems like there. I would love to in, also invite Allison in now too, if you want to share with us anything that's been going on in the chats and stuff. I've, I see a, a bunch of things happening there. Anything that stands out to you uh, to kind of loop into the conversation? Yeah, um, the chat is hopping. So um, one of the things that was said um, much earlier in the conversation is something that Rebecca shared. So Rebecca, I hope you don't mind that I'm gonna put this out there, okay? Um, she wrote something um, about a year ago, I think she said, I am reminded that if Jesus could be on earth with us today, we would invite him to speak and instead he would listen. And, um, and, I, and she shared that at the beginning and I just kept thinking about it the more that um, Joey shared. And so I thought that was really poignant. I wanted to share that with everybody. Um, and then somebody else also said in response to that, that many people in power today probably wouldn't even recognize him if he was here um, on earth. And um, I also wanna just point out that a lot of people resonated, Joey, with what you said about hope. Um, and I felt that very encouraging as well because I mean, speaking for myself, it's been really hard to keep up hope. Um, and for you to just talk about how you find hope and how you keep that alive is really helpful. And many people were posting that they resonate with that. Um, there was another question um, that I wanna pose to you, Joey. There's two questions that I wanna pose to you. And one is somebody said, what happens when conservative family members think you are the one sheep who needs to be saved? So because you're too liberal, you're too out there, you're the one who needs to be saved. How, what do you do? Oh, that's hard. And the only thing that can come to mind how I can answer that is um, historically and through this, the text, the scripture, uh, I would say wasn't Jesus the one sheep um, set aside back then um, in the minority um, with his small group of followers. So that's what I would say is uh, maybe look at it from that lens that Jesus is not the shepherd in that story. Um, and perhaps he was in that time, the actual sheep that was marginalized. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I really like that. That's a great way to frame that. And I think that those conservative family members who like to think that they know everything about the Bible could see that could recognize that. Um, I think that's great. Uh, so thank you. And there's another question too. Um, when you talked about how everyone has their own revised standard version of the Bible, um, somebody um, said something that I, I identified with too, where they were, they said there's a struggle with that, with interpreting scripture in a personal way, because some people like to twist scripture and we don't, we want to be cautious and we don't want to fall into that. Um, do you have any, any guidance for that of how we could trust ourselves? Um, how are, yeah, as we're interpreting scripture personally? 
Oh, absolutely. So I said that in the sense that you will do your own studying. Um, you will get your, you'll go and dive into resources that perhaps um, people in Brown Line can share with you or your community that can read into like different interpretations of the Bible that are not harmful. Yes, we're going to have different interpretations that are harmful out there um, and even harmful to the sense that they can lead to death. And that's what we don't want. Um, so yeah, definitely dive into when you're doing your interpretations. Um, I think there's something so special about revelation, but when you're reading scripture, um, but dive into that, even though you think you understand, see what other theologians are saying, see what other pastors or um, religious leaders that you trust and that you follow see what they're saying about that. Um, I wouldn't go on it by yourself. Uh, that's where it can be harmful too, is when you start to think, oh, I this is the way I'm interpreting it. Like the whole, when I interpreted the whole shepherd thing, I'm not gonna take 100% credit for that. That is some That has come up in different conversations that I've been in. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely don't, do it on your own when you're interpreting. Yes, it is going to be a struggle, but that I think that's the beauty of discernment and revelation um, when you're trying to figure that out. I just gotta say, Joey, I just so deeply appreciate the, the sharing of that. As somebody who grew up with evangelical roots, um, like this is, you know, the idea of, of I'm interpreting it personally and there's not just this objective, like clear thing is hard for me to wrestle with because that's a framework I came in of like, hey, this is what this means. Um, but the thing I so appreciate about what you said is, hey, this is how my read on this. And so therefore, if your read on that was harmful, if your read on that was uh, working against the peace of my own heart and the action of justice in the world around me, um, there's the humility to own that you that is your read. And it's not just out of nowhere. It's informed by the theology that you study. It's informed by your practice. It's informed by your experience. But the truth is, even the most conservative preacher that goes up there and says, this is how you read this passage, that is their personal interpretation. The damage in it is when they say, this is the interpretation and it is clear. And it's damaging not only because they are no longer speaking for themselves, they're speaking for God, but it also displays a lack of self-awareness and humility that they are wrestling with the scripture. Because they once you, once you believe you've gotten it, I generally believe that you're missing it. There needs to be a constant wrestling. And so I think even though that that is a, a growing experience for me, it is actually, I think, really helpful for us to think about when we approach scripture that we should always be owning how we read it. It should always be through our own lens because none of us here are skilled enough to pull off the layers of our culture, pull off the layers of our personality. And all of us are human enough to want to believe that we get it right. Um, that's just our in, inner being. And the, the more privilege you have, the whiter and more male you are, the more you might actually believe the reality that you have it right. And it's because society in so many ways is set up to say, oh, you probably do have it right. Look how well your life goes for you. And I think that's a particular extra ask on those of us who come from a white male religious upbringing, the recognition that we are always doing our personal understanding with the context we have. And we have to own it or else we're gonna not only damage and stunt ourselves, but likely damage other people. Well, this is all so good. And, and just to, uh, to encourage 
um, everyone who's just engaging and, and particularly who resonates with that question, the second question, Allison, that you brought up is I think one way we can feel um, feel uh, comforted in, uh, in the efforts, uh, in our own efforts, is that uh, if you are engaging in community, like like a church like this, you're already doing a major, major, um, uh, like key uh, part of uh, protecting yourself against harmful interpretations of scripture, which is you're just doing it with other people. And so, you know, that's a lot of, uh, I think, what we're, what we're trying to do uh, here in Sundays as, we, as we've been doing discussions. Um, and yeah, and I just think that that is, that this is, to me, th this is exactly what we, uh, what we need to be doing uh, in order to avoid harmful interpretations of scripture. Well, at least for the sake of time, I think we have to start to wind down to a close here. Uh, Joey, I would love for you to, to give you one last chance just to make like any, any final comment. And then if you would pray for us, that would be awesome. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think the final things that I would like to say are like in questions, like um, what, what's your story? What's our story? Um, what's your narrative and where is this going to fall in to your historical timeline, to your life? Um, and I think that's something we should think about all the time. Um, and like, what will our stories tell um, of us? Like they tell of Jesus's life, right? He shares all these stories. So what are your stories going to tell about your life? Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different for each of us. How we contribute is going to be different. So I don't, one thing I want to encourage everyone to do is not to measure yourself against anyone else in this work of social change, um, or even in just like following the life of Jesus. Never measure your life to somebody else's life and what they're doing. Um, and it's kind of hard because we have Instagram, we have Facebook, Twitter, all these things that will show you what all these other people are doing. And then you can feel like embarrassed or shame. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, you can't measure yourself against them. Sometimes, to me, sometimes that can be a little bit performative um, when you do that and you just don't, that's not you. And this is how they're doing their work. You do it your own way. Um, and so to take care of yourself in that and self-care, um, the work that we do in just sharing the life of Jesus and the love of Jesus, um, it can get hard and overwhelming. And sometimes we get a little bit beaten down. We cannot forget that you need to take care of yourself. Um, don't forget that Jesus told, I think it was in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus told his disciples, okay, um, like, take a minute, go to a deserted place, come away to a deserted place, I think it says, um, and stay a while by yourself. Like, I mean, it's instructions. Like, people are like, oh, you just got to keep moving. No, you don't. <laughs> you got to make sure that you're healthy emotionally. You're getting the help you need, like, emotionally, physically, mentally, um, in order to continue this work of sharing like the life of Jesus and what we should be doing to like help each other. Um, and then lean on your community. Like we all have different communities. So make sure you do that too. Um, when you, and um, I think that is all that I have left to share. Um, and hopefully I have not led anybody astray. Um, but uh, I guess I go into prayer, right? Uh, okay, good. Sorry, I haven't been. <laughs> in a church service in a while. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. 
Oh, uh, God of multiplicity, a divine being of justice. We ask you to just continue to be with us uh, in this time. Um, help us and nurture us. Give us the health uh, that we need to continue to share with others what it is to truly be an example of human love. Um, we thank you for your continued love and your provision. Lead us into ways of mercy and kindness. And I also ask for a special blessing over Brownline Church and the community um, as you lead them into righteousness and you give them the strength to continue to share the identity of your divinity and your multifaceted being. Um, I pray that your spirit will protect us through this week and that your wisdom and revelation will help us um, bring light to the world uh, so that they can see lightness in their places of darkness. Um, and since today is National Coming Out Day, I do give a special prayer for all those who are out there struggling um, to come out due to safety or other factors that may be harmful to them, that you would continue to comfort them or even if this is the first time, reveal yourself to them, um, that they may be comforted and know that they are not alone. Amen.